Good to see you. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Sam and company, for music. Always, always, always so good. Always God-honoring, Christ-exalting, heaven-sent music. I appreciate it very much. I, I think I felt like I wanted to start this morning by reminding you that are seated out there and listening that those of us who have the responsibility now and again of standing behind this pulpit and addressing you were broken people. Yeah. And so there's not one of us that ever stands up here with any ounce of pride or self-confidence. We simply are fellow pilgrims. We're on a journey together. And we want, above all else, to know and to make known the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to encourage one another and to comfort one another with His Word. And so it is His Word today that we want to focus on and not the preacher. I was talking with Dan, who's speaking tonight, um, in the evening meeting and before this meeting, and we were commiserating together about the wonderful thoughts we have about the Lord when we're preparing our messages, and then we get up to speak, and it just all goes, who knows where it goes. And, um, but you know what? It's, it's not about how articulate or well we speak. It, it, it's, it's all about the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and applying it to our hearts, and um, where he has spoken to me, uh, I, I trust he will speak to you as we read the Word of God together. So let's pray to that end, shall we? Lord, we thank you for the beautiful day that this is, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us earlier on today to come together and to stand at the foot of the cross, to realize how unworthy we are of your love, and yet to be inundated with that love, just to be washed over with billows of love. How blessed it is that he gave that we might live. And we thank you now for the opportunity, the privilege that we've had to, to worship together, to sing together, and now, Father, to hear from your word. And we pray that by your spirit you would just encourage and comfort us with your word, challenge us with your word, apply it to our hearts as is necessary and as needed individually. You alone can do that. That's not something that I can do, Lord. You alone can do that. So we ask that you would. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like today at least to attempt to finish up a series that I began in August of this year on the four voices last year. It's gone all wrong already. Um, thank you, last year. August of last year. And um, it's the four voices of comfort taken from Isaiah 40. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 40, we're going to look at that passage again. And hear from the fourth and final voice. Fourth and final voice. Isaiah chapter 40. 
And I've, I've asked the people in the control booth to, to bring that scripture up. So if you don't have your Bible, that will show up there eventually, I trust. Isaiah 40, and I'm, I'm going to just remind you of what we've talked about because August of last year is a long time away. And uh, just as a little reminder of what we've already talked about, but I won't take too long with that because we still have the fourth voice to get through. We start off in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I see four voices here, and the first voice that I see and hear is the voice of God. It's the voice of God, and this first comforting voice, the voice of comfort that is here, is the comfort of salvation. Do you remember that? The comfort of salvation. And you will notice in these verses... Now, by the way, i, I got to just step back and for a minute remind you that I'm not expounding from this passage. I'm not teaching you uh, the interpretation of this passage. This passage has to do with the people of Israel. It has to do with the prophecy that Isaiah is making concerning their future. And, and he's comforting them. They are now in... Or they would be even... They're not now, but they would be in Isaiah's day. They would one day be in captivity. And what Isaiah is saying to them are words of comfort that they would need while they're in that position of bondage and captivity. Now, I'm not teaching on that. What I'm trying to do is take this passage of Scripture and make an application to our daily lives. I'm not going to go back and do all the interpretation and the, the formal exposition of the passage. I just want to interpret this for us today, okay? So I wanted to, to make that clear. And when I look at this passage by way of of application, applying it to my life, I hear God's voice saying, there is comfort in knowing salvation and having and obtaining and possessing the comfort of salvation, of hearing God's voice say, as he does in verse number two, that her iniquity, that call out to her that her warfare has ended, that there is peace now with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you know that in your heart this morning. Do you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is there still a warfare going on between yourself and God? I can remember well what that warfare was like. So if you're struggling with a warfare, if you're struggling with God, if He is not your friend, if He is not your father, but He is actually your enemy, and you say, well, I don't want God for my enemy. No, you don't. But maybe He is just the same because you're living a life that is so contrary to His will. And there's a warfare going on. There can be peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the comfort of salvation is that we have peace with God. And then there's pardon. In that verse number two again, that her iniquity is pardoned. It's been removed. Pardoned for sin. I was, I was looking in, in Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to read this for you. Isaiah 55, listen to these verses. And you can quote them in your heart, I'm sure, while I'm saying them, some of you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. Think of that. The Lord will have compassion on the wicked and the unrighteous. Isn't that amazing that he would have compassion? He will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly, what's the word? Pardon. He will abundantly pardon. That's good news. And I have had the experience of having abundant pardon. God has pardoned my sins, for they've been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Do you know the joy, the comfort of salvation? There's peace in salvation, there's pardon in salvation, and then there's the provision of God for every spiritual blessing in salvation as well. Moving on to the next two or three verses, beginning at verse number three of this passage. And then a voice is calling. Here's the second voice. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the second voice of comfort and this is the voice of communion. The comfort of communion. We saw it as John's voice, because in the New Testament, this passage is quoted by, by John. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But we're looking at it from a Christian perspective, and we're saying, this is communion. This is the opportunity of communion, to enjoy that comfort. And there's a purpose. There's a purpose given in these verses. In verse number 3a, the purpose is to clear a way for the Lord. If we want communion with the Lord, we need to clear away a path for the Lord to come in. Clear the way for the Lord. And the preparation is to make straight, level, and smooth the ground for him to come in and commune with us. Straightness, to be focused, to have our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We were reminded of this passage. It's a passage from Hebrews last evening as we got together with the college and career group. Uh, therefore, Hebrews 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded, compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Right? So the preparation is to make a straight, focused path you know, be focused on the Lord, be focused on seeing Him, a level path, a consistency in our lives, and a smooth path, free of debris. Now, there is in this portion also a promise. It says in verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, for the Lord has spoken. So God promises that. We can have communion with the Lord. We can know that He's going to come and, and commune with us simply by making a way for him, preparing a way for him, opening the door and saying, Lord, I want to have communion with you. I'm going to push aside all the stuff, all the trash in my life, push it out of the way, because I want preeminently to commune with you. And you can have that. There's a comfort in communion. There's a comfort in salvation. There's a comfort in communion. And then thirdly, we talked about the comfort of, and I apologize for this, but I had to come up with a word that would fit there, the comfort of conjunction, because I have to have an I-O-N on the end of these things. You know, that's just the way it is. The comfort of conjunction. Read with me these verses. Verses 6 to 8. 
a voice says, call out. There's our third voice. And he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades. How do you like to be compared to grass, withering, a flower that fades? But that's what God says. The grass withers, the flower fades, and all flesh is like grass, just just like that. But then it says, and there's the beautiful conjunction and the end of verse number eight, but the word of our God stands forever. The truth, and this is the voice of truth or the voice of reality. The comfort of conjunction is the voice of reality. We are perishing people. We heard that this morning, didn't we, at the Lord's table? We are, di- we are a dying people. We're, we're growing old. We're not getting better. We're getting older, Right? Have you come to grips with that? Have you embraced that truth? Because you, and you can embrace it because of the conjunction. But the word of our God stands forever. That's good news. God's word said, well, how does that make any difference? I'm getting old and decrepit and things aren't working the way they used to in my body. How, how is it any, any good to know that the Word of God stands together? Because the Word of God tells us who we are in Christ and where we stand in Christ. I want to look with you just briefly at Romans chapter 8. This is, this is part of that very Word of God. Romans chapter 8. And when you think of the fact of, of our mortality, when you think of the fact that we are passing away physically, what good news can you say to somebody who's passing away? Here's good news. Here's good news. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. The question is raised, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Now, there's an implied answer to that, isn't there? No one, right? And we read on. Will tribulation? The answer is no. Distress? No. Can you say that word with me? Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? Peril? Sword? No. None of those things can separate us from the love of Christ. None of those things. See how that conjunction works. No matter what our circumstance or situation is, Christ continues to love us. And I... Just as it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That doesn't sound good, does it? But in all these things, in all those things that were listed in verse 35, in all those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We overwhelmingly conquer. Isn't that something? That's good news. And, And that verse... It struck me as we were going through our, our work together in the college and careers group. In all these things, verse 37 says, and in all these things, all of these things happen to believers. It might, they might not all happen to you, but there's, there are believers who experienced every one of these things. And maybe they will happen to you. But in them, in the midst of these persecutions, in the midst of the distresses, in the midst of the tribulation, the famine, the nakedness, the peril, and the sword, in the midst of that, in all those things, he still loves you. He still loves you. And 
as we read in verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, powers, height or depth or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you see any other created thing? It doesn't matter what you come up with. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. It doesn't matter that you are like grass, withering like a flower, fading, because nothing, not even death, can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that comforting or not? The older I get, the more comforting that verse sounds. Huh? When I was young, eh, you know, that's nice. But I've seen most of my life, for sure. And the, and the closer I get to eternity, the more comforting that is. Nothing, 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 not even death. In fact, death just sums it all up because I'll be in His presence. It's gain. All right? The comfort of salvation, the comfort of communion, and the comfort of conjunction. We have in the comfort of salvation God's gracious provision for us to be saved. We have in the comfort of communion God's glorious presence to be with us. And we have in the comfort of conjunction God's game-changing promise. It's a game-changing promise for us that we can hold on to. And now the fourth and the final voice of comfort. This is the comfort of proclamation, verses 9 to 11. And this is the very best of all voices. You know why? Because it's your voice. And everybody loves to hear their voice, right? Yeah? It's your voice that we're going to be talking about in this last, this fourth and final voice. Let's read. Picking it up at verse number 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift up. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather his lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. The voice of proclamation. If you know the comfort of salvation... If you are enjoying the comfort of communion, if you have come to terms with the comfort of conjunction, then it's time to embrace the comfort of proclamation. And that is simply, you need to tell somebody. If you're really old, you'll remember somebody by the name of Don Francisco. David McDonald is old enough to remember that. Yes, I know. And... Uh, Don wrote a song many years ago called, He's Alive, He's Alive. And uh, for those of us who at that time were younger, uh, that was a thrilling song. It was a thrilling, thrilling song. And then he followed it up with a sequel, and that sequel was called, I've Got to Tell Somebody. I've Got to Tell Somebody. And it's the story of the synagogue official whose daughter had died, and he came to the Lord Jesus and, and said, you know, uh, you got to come and see my daughter, and, and others were telling him, no, don't bother the master, and, but the Lord Jesus went anyway. And he said, when he came near the house, the people were wailing and so on and going to it, and he said, don't, don't wail because, you know, she's not really dead, she's only sleeping. And they laughed at him. And the Lord Jesus went in and woke her up, right? And Francisco 
looking at this from the perspective of the father whose daughter had just been raised from the dead, he said, oh my, you know, I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody what Jesus has done for me. That's, that's the comfort of proclamation, of taking the message of the gospel, what God has done for you, and taking it out and sharing it with other people. And there's a comfort in that. Any of us who have ever done that know that that's true, as scary and as terrifying as it might be sometimes, to share that message of hope, peace, pardon, and provision with other people is an amazing blessing. I've got to tell somebody. Now, there are three imperatives here that I want to share with you before I step down. The three imperatives and the um, comfort of proclamation. The first one is in verse 9, the very first part of that verse. It says, get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Get up. That's the first imperative. Get up. Right? And, and, I, and I have in my notes, nothing for the kingdom gets done while watching, gaming, or surfing the net. <laughs> All right? Is, is that not true? What do we accomplish? I've had the, uh, I've been, as you, many of you know, we have been studying together this book called Don't Waste Your Life, and I've just had the, the wind kicked out of me so many times. I am bruised spiritually uh, from what this gentleman has written in that book. And one of the things that he brought up in the last chapter that we studied together was the waste of time, the waste of our lives. Don't Waste Your Life is the title of the book. And, and I'm, you know, going into it thinking, well, I'm not wasting my life. Oh, boy, I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting my life so much of the time. And so as I stand before you, I'm not standing here pointing my finger out there. There's just too many fingers pointing back at me. What am I doing with my life? What are you doing with your life? Who are we telling? He says, get up. Get up. Couch potatoes of the world, unite. Get up. Get up and rebel against the status quo and do something else. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get up. It's time to get up. Where do we go? If we get up, where do we go? We go to the high mountain. We go to the high mountain. Now, what does that mean? Do we have to take up mountain climbing? No. Mountaineering? No. What is the high mountain? What are we talking about here? We need to get out of the valley of doing what is really a waste of our time, a waste of our lives. We've got to get out of that valley and move up into the rarefied air of service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever that may be, the mountain is only symbolic. It's just get out of the valley and get up to the mountain, whatever that mountain may be for you. I can't tell you what that mountain is. I'll tell you what, I'm scared to death of heights. My knees quake when I get two rungs up on a ladder. I'm a mess. I'm no good at all. But God says we need to get up on that mountain. Do you remember the story of Lot? You do, don't you? Nod your head. I said Lot. Yeah, Lot. I remember the story of Lot. Remember back in Genesis chapter 13. The Scripture says there that, that Abraham and Lot, they had herds, lots of herds, lots of animals, and, and they're grazing grounds were being uh, compromised because of overfeeding. And it was decided that they were going to separate and go their separate ways. And, and Abraham, 
the old patriarch said to his nephew Lot, you, you go whichever way you want to go and I'll go the opposite direction and we'll have plenty of room for our flocks. Remember that? And it says in Genesis chapter 13, in verse number 10, that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, didn't he? And how did it look? Oh boy, didn't it look good? It was all green down there. And if you've got flocks, I used to raise cattle, and if you have flocks, you want green grass. That's where you want your flocks. It's well watered. They have plenty of water, plenty of grass. That's where you want your flocks. And so Lot looked down there in verse 10, and then it says in verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. He saw the valley. He made a choice. He chose the valley, a choice based on financial gain, right? There was no other thought process in his mind, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to be financially set down there. He didn't think about the other things that were down there. And then it says in verse number 12 that Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. Well, Lot settled in the cities of the valley. And you know the rest of the story, don't you? Lot went down there to prosper. He came out of there, didn't he, later on? What did he have with him? He lost everything, didn't he? I know you say, well, he had his two daughters. Read on. Read on. He lost everything, brothers and sisters, everything. He made a bad choice. He decided to leave the highlands and go down into the valley. Now, that's, not, that's just typical. It's a typical illustration of what the valley represents. Get out of the valley and go to the mountain. Go up to the mountain. Climb up to the mountain. And what do we do when we get up on that mountain? Verse 9b, you see what it says? Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Get up and speak up. Right? Get up and speak up when you get up on that mountain. If you go across the bridge and get into Halifax and you can go whipping around and find your way to uh, Highway 102 heading towards Truro, uh, make an exit right away and get on Highway 103 because that road will take you to Yarmouth, right? It'll take you towards Yarmouth. And if you drive along the 103 highway and you make good time, about three-hour drive, you will come to a, a little exit and a, a great big sign that's way bigger than the town itself. It says Glenwood. That's my hometown, my home village. That's where the three or four houses that, that are there, that's where they exist. And, and if you get off at Glenwood, if you take that exit, you turn to the right, you turn into Glenwood, and you just go by the park that's on your right. There's a Glenwood Park in there. That's the one thing we have in Glenwood is a park. And you go just by the driveway to the park. On the left-hand side, if you turn your head to the left, you'll see something amazing. It's Mount Glenwood. It's an amazing thing to see. It was right when, I got, when I'd step out of my back door, the house that I grew up in, Mount Glenwood rose in its heights behind me, right? And, or behind our house in front of me. And it's probably, it's probably not quite as tall as this building, Mount Glenwood. But when you're a little boy, right, there it is. 
And as a little boy, I remember climbing, climbing up Mount Glenwood. And um, it took all of 10 or 15 seconds to do it. It was so tall. And I remember going up there time after time as a little fella and just looking around. And, and from Mount Glenwood, you could survey the entire country. There was Willard Pittman's house over here. There was Percy Keogh's house over here. There was Grammy Bean's house over there. Not my Grammy at all, but her last name was Bean. Grammy Bean over there. There was Mr. Andrew and Aunt Dorothy. She was no aunt either, but they lived over there. Then there was the Baptist church right there. And then over here was Uncle Arden and Aunt Vanjie. Again, no relation. And if you looked across this way, you could see all the way over to Roberts Island, which was just a tree-infested island. That was it. You could see all of Glenwood from there. What a breathtaking view. I remember one day going up there on top of this mountain and standing there, and the air was just right. There was something about it. And I remember going, Hey! And then I heard, Hey! I said, Who was that? <laughs> I was the only little boy in that village. All the rest of the people were old. <laughs> Who is that? And I, I hollered out again, hello, hello. You know what it was. And eventually, after 14 or 15 hellos, it dawned on me this was an echo. I had heard about echoes, but I'd never heard an echo. I had never heard my own voice before. It was fantastic. So I stood on the top of Mount Glenwood, and I just bellered it out. I just kept hollering, hello, hello, hey, hey. You know, and, and after a while, there was this other voice that started mingling in with the echo. It was a strangely familiar voice. It was that of my mother. For she had heard. <laughs> and she had come out of the back door of our house, and she said, what in the world's wrong? <laughs> I said, there's nothing wrong, Mom. Listen, hey, hey. Did you hear that? <laughs> it was wonderful, the sound of my own voice. This is before, you see, I am so old that this is before tape recorders. I had never heard my voice before. I had never, ever heard my voice before. It was years later that my uncle brought a tape recorder in and I heard my voice for the first time and didn't even recognize my voice. But that echo was incredible. And Mom said, you have to stop that. And I said, why? Because all the neighbors, all four of them, will hear you, and they'll think something's wrong. My point is, when you get up on the mountain, speak up, because people will hear you. might be your mother, that might be the only one who hears you, but it might be your neighbors. And say more than I said, which was just basically a lot of noise, but if you get up on the mountain... If God calls you up to a mountain, whatever that venue might be, wherever he takes you, speak up. Be heard. Did you see what it says here? And you say, well, Brother Clyde, I'm a little shy. Let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room that's more shy than I am. I guarantee you. You say, that ain't true. There you are standing up there. Listen, this is not natural for me. This is not natural. I am a very shy person. I have difficulty standing before people. 
I have difficulty with that. Uh, and I have difficulty speaking up sometimes. But look what it says. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. You've got something to say. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You've got good news. Somebody needs to hear that good news. We've got good news to share. We have comforting news to share. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear silence your voice. What do we have to lose in comparison with what they have to gain, brothers and sisters? When we, when we compare what we have to lose, what would be the most we could lose? Our lives, right? That would be the most. And as I was saying to somebody earlier, so if I die, I go to heaven, and I'm with Christ, which is gain. But if they don't hear my voice, what do they lose? That. They lose the opportunity to go to heaven and to be with Christ. So what have I got to lose in comparison with what they have to gain? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Lift up your voice. So find yourself a mountain and get up on it and find your voice and lift it up, right? Now, let's finish off. The final imperative. Get up, speak up, and then we have in verse number 10. It says, well, in the latter part of verse number 9, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God, Behold, the Lord God will come with might. God even tells us what to say. Speak up, he says. What am I supposed to say, Lord? Behold, or here is your God. Tell him about God. Tell him about me. A little while ago, a couple Sundays ago, in the Lord's Supper, David was talking about Michelangelo who painted all those ceiling things in Sistine Chapel and other places. And, and how that, because he was like this all the time, painting, when he came down off the scaffolding, he'd go around like this, right? You and I would too, right? Because his neck, oof, he must have had some pain in his neck. But he, he had his neck, he had his head up like this all the time because of, of he, and he was constantly looking up. Look up. That's the third imperative. Look up. Look up. Stephen Michaels came right after David and talked about Christians going around like this, right? Remember that, Stephen? Don't go around like that. Lift up your head. Lift up your head because the Lord is coming. That's what it says here. Say to the cities of Judah, say to the people around about you, shout out to the people of the village of Glenwood down at the foot of Mount Glenwood, shout out to them. Here's your God. Behold, the Lord God will come. Let him know that the king is returning. What's he, when he returns, what's he going to be like? Really quickly. He's coming. What manner will he come? What manner will he come? Behold, the Lord God will come, verse 10, with might, with his arm ruling for him. He is coming as a sovereign. 
King of kings and Lord of lords. You see that? He's coming as a sovereign. His arm is ruling for him. He will reign. His arm in Isaiah has been revealed in Isaiah 53.1. His arm is holy in Isaiah 52, verse 10. It provides salvation in Isaiah 59.16. It is strong, Isaiah 62.8. It is glorious, Isaiah 63.12. We don't have time to look those verses up, but they're there. Go to your concordance and look at his arm in Isaiah. It's an amazing study. And his stretched out arm, look for that one too. That's an amazing thing. His arm is stretched out. Behold, he is coming his arm ruling for him. And then it says, behold, his reward is with him. His reward is with him. And it says also that his recompense is before him. He's coming to rule. He's bringing a reward and a recompense. And a recompense. Depending on which side of the fence you stand, right? Are you a believer? Are you his child? Reward. Are you not? Recompense are just desserts, right? And he's coming back as a sovereign. Quickly, he's also coming back in verse 11 as a what? It's an S word. Shepherd, thank you. As a shepherd. Coming back as king of kings, coming back also as a shepherd. This is comforting, isn't it? He's going to tend his flock. He's going to gather his lambs. He's going to carry them close to his arm. How does he gather them? In his arm. There's his arm again. Carry them close to his heart and leading those who are caring for others. He's coming as a shepherd, exercising loving care toward his flock. He's the good shepherd who gave his life for the flock. He's the great shepherd who rose again from the dead from our justification. He's coming now. No. <laughs> Thank you. And then, and then, He's the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd rewards, he rewards faithful service. Brothers and sisters, look up. Get up, speak up, and look up because he's coming back. That's comforting, isn't it? I find that comforting. Find your mountain and get up on it. Find your voice and speak up. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. And find your focus. Look up. Look up. Keep your eyes upon the eastern sky. Lift up your head. Redemption draweth nigh. He's coming. I want to ask you, are you ready for that? Are you ready? He tells us to be ready. If you're not ready, if you're not one of his children, you need to become one of his children. And it's so simple. You just embrace the fact that he died for you on the cross of Calvary. You, you acknowledge that you're a sinner and you need salvation. You acknowledge that your sins have separated you from your God. And you're still at war with him. And you need just to simply acknowledge that and repent of those sins. Say, Lord, I don't need those. I need you. I need your salvation. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He's coming back as the sovereign with his rewards and with his recompense. Which will it be for you? That choice is yours. Brothers and sisters, don't waste your lives. And dear friend, if you're not a, a brother of mine or a sister of mine, Find life in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord.
for the privilege of being here today. Thank you for your word. Pray that you will give us a sense of what comfort there is in sharing our faith with others. Remind us, O oh God, of the need to do that. Not because we're compelled, not because you've commanded us to, but because the love of Christ in our hearts compels us. Show us, O oh God, the mountain you wish for us to climb and open our mouths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.